You're listening to a podcast by Hip Fee Hype, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability, and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. I'm Laura Phillips, and I'm the head of urban advocacy at Hip Fee Hype. Hip Fee Hype is an entrepreneurial group of businesses that are working to resolve more sustainable, more socially responsible, and more intuitive solutions to our cities. Do you currently live in an apartment? Do you currently live in an apartment as a family or plan to? Do you think apartment living is appealing or even a practical option for a family? Internationally, three and four bedroom apartments provide for a diverse mix of residents, whether they be a family with young, teenage or adult children, shared households or multi-generational living. However, in Australia, three bedroom apartments are predominantly marketed as luxury housing option. There's a growing case for an increasing number of families to live in inner city locations, which are close to professional jobs, close to existing family and social networks, and close to existing essential amenities, such as shops, schools, hospitals, parks, beaches, and community facilities. But for Australians to meaningfully aspire to apartments as long-term living options, apartment designs must support attributes that make for meaningfully better apartment living. Today, I sit down with Liam Wallace, director of Hip Hype, and Mitra Anderson-Oliver, who is a Better Cities and Regions Associate with Hip High Sustainability, to discuss the case for family apartment living in Australia. Liam Wallace is now joined by Mitra Anderson-Oliver to discuss how diverse living options can support the sustainable growth of our cities. Welcome. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. So tell us about, I mean, both of you are coming to this discussion maybe from different, slightly different perspectives, but tell us about your experience of living in an apartment with a family, Mitra, and then for designing apartments for the families, Liam. Absolutely. So we, when we were buying our first home in Melbourne, we were already living in an apartment um, and were expecting a baby. The apartment that we were living in at the time was um, one of the Cairo apartments in Melbourne, which are renowned in maybe architectural design circles in, in Melbourne, but maybe not more widely, but essentially um, they're what you call a minimum flat, um, relatively small, one bedroom, but beautifully designed. And we did toy for a while with the idea of um, having a child there, but in the end decided that a little bit more space um, could be good. So when we went for a new apartment, what we were looking for was, I guess, enough uh, two bedrooms at least, and then um, ideally some open space around it that we could expand into, and ended up choosing an apartment in the Willsmere complex, which is just on the edge of Kew near the Yarra. It's probably a bit of an extraordinary apartment block because it was um, a mental asylum for over 100 years and is this big old heritage complex built in 1870, which has now been converted into about 160 apartments. It's relatively small, our apartment, but it has very high ceilings. And what really attracted us to it was that it was adaptable because it has these high ceilings, so there's the possibility of popping in a mezzanine at some point and also the huge amount of open space that surrounds the buildings and you're also right on the Yarra Parklands. So for us, it didn't feel like too much of a compromise to go into an apartment as a family rather than a detached dwelling with the backyard because there was all of this amenity surrounding us, all of this opportunity to run around and be outside, um, directly outside of our front door, which was just fantastic. So we still we still have that apartment. We've subsequently moved overseas, but we do intend to go back there. And I think, yeah, there's still 
probably still pros and cons in my mind of apartment living, but those those factors made it like a viable choice for us, which was fantastic um, from affordability point of view, but also actually from a community point of view. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question, this one. I think, um, I think on one hand, the challenge of, of larger format apartments uh, is the cost of space. The larger an apartment is, inherently, the more expensive it is. Uh, just in the economics of delivery, I think, um, more broadly then, there's probably, you know, I need to have a really good look at, at the demand side, um, just how many people within the Australian context are willing to live in an apartment and have an aspiration to raise an, a family within that apartment environment. I think, you know, Mitra's just probably raised some, you know, key factors that do come into play when you're talking about family size apartments. So uh, having access to amenity that exists beyond, say, the, the framework of that apartment is, is really important. Then probably within the existing framework of broader sort of legislative requirements within the planning scheme really sort of suggests that if you're going to do larger family-style apartments, you really want to make sure that you're choosing sites that are well-located, close to broader amenity. Well, I suppose that then goes on to the question, how do you think we can make apartments more attractive for families in Australia? Mm, that's a real challenge because I think there's, like, there's, there's broader romantic notions of you know, ideas around apartment living in, say, Europe or you know, Japan or you know, other countries like, like that with a much, much denser urban framework that don't have access to, I guess, the, you know, the land supply that Australia does more broadly and, and we seem to still be opening up more and more land kind of around the fringes of that, you know, urban framework of Melbourne and that really does, you know, take Geelong for an example. It's got a really great kind of potential there in its, in its CBD um, and yet the land release that occurs around that Geelong CBD undermines the, the value of apartments within that sort of Geelong city framework. Yeah, Melbourne's bigger and more complicated and, and is evolving more and more. Uh, and I think uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question more broadly uh, as to how, how you can create larger format family size apartments, where they can be created and who ultimately is interested in those apartments. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, w- when there's a viable option of single detached house on the fringe or even in an outer suburb versus an apartment in the city, when you're looking at often quite a similar price, really, isn't it, for a larger family-sized apartment, say two or three bedrooms and a new house in an outer suburb, like how does a family make that choice when, you know, with... A suburb, um, a suburban house, you get your own backyard, you might get slightly larger living areas, you've got the opportunity maybe to go up a level one day if you need more space and potentially you've got more outdoor space as well if it's a well-planned subdivision. So I think what we've seen in Melbourne is, and other cities around the world, but in ours where you've had quite low density for a while, is this shift towards valuing, I guess, proximity to jobs and services and people are making that trade-off. They're saying, well, my job's in the city and I don't want to spend an hour commuting in the morning and the evenings um, and have to, you know, face the stress of that commute. So I'm going to go for something smaller but have more time back in my life and have access to all the stuff of the city that um, people still enjoy. Now, with COVID, I think 
there's a lot of discussion going on about what does it mean if people can work from home and we don't know yet whether or not that's going to be a bit of a situational point in time change where people are working from home just because they have to and ultimately we'll all go back to uh, our offices if we do have that profession um, and have exactly the same tensions that we had before or if we're seeing more of a I guess a realisation that the way that we were structuring our work life balance or how we are running our work lives was potentially flawed. If we can work from home some of the time, it's much more efficient, it's probably more pleasant, it's maybe even a little less stressful. Maybe we can go to the office once a week and I think that might change the dynamic a little in people's choices. But if we can just step away from that, I think that you know, in the world that we have been living in, being in the city does give you a level of access that you just don't get in the outer suburbs and so it's worth planning for how you can make sure you include families in that and that's something we struggle with because we're having to retrofit it to a certain extent but the number one thing I think people need as a family if they're going to move into an apartment is as you're saying Liam good external spaces so they're shared spaces inside of a building there might be a rooftop garden it might be a great courtyard some ability to extend the life that you're living inside of your apartment outside of it safely and comfortably and in a welcome way um in those European cities that we talked about then, I f- feel like the difference they have is that they plan for density for quite some time. And so often there are more, I feel like, family-friendly outdoor spaces located closer to your apartment. So when I was living in Berlin last year, for example, I had six really amazing smaller format parks and playgrounds within 200 metres of my house. It was just spoilt for choice. And that's how that city was in fact planned was to have smaller scale kind of village squares and public open spaces spread out through the entire what they call the urban expansion area which meant that you didn't have to have a little park on site in, in your apartment block because it was going to be provided for you by the city. So I think it is probably incumbent upon city planners to have that in mind and I think they do that as we're encouraging and allowing for density yes we need to be encouraging private developers to include that amazing shared space on site but also be planning for it in the city as well. Well I suppose then that goes to the question about what are the the challenges for delivering family-friendly apartments in the city. I mean we've spoken about you know planning issues and also cost of of land. Are they the the two major ones? You know this idea of kind of amenity within buildings, private amenity within buildings is a really interesting question I think kind of talking to someone the other day I was lucky enough to be involved in a project called Society in South Yarra kind of almost kicked off the trend of rooftop shared amenity in Melbourne and I'll call it a trend because it kind of is a bit of a trend it's sort of a little bit real real estate agent led it's sort of been adopted by policy kind of almost in reverse a little bit and you know by that I mean it's sort of when I say real estate led it's sort of like it's something it's an easy sell right like it's a nice story so we've got this great rooftop space we'll put a tempanyaki bar up and we'll put private booths up we'll put a spa up blah 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 it's kind of a bit of an arms race and you know you end up spending a whole lot of money on something that is pretty underutilized in a lot of in a lot of projects i know for us in our projects yeah we have been involved in in creating those spaces and and we do think there's value in those spaces but just just in creating really good spaces and trying to maximize the amenity like the the reality is melbourne's a windy city so whenever you put a roof deck on 
it's going to be underutilized straight away because by virtue of the weather and the wind um, that we're exposed to it's sort of the prevailing winds come from the north northwest south southwest um, so you're pretty much going to get attacked from all angles so it's hard to make it work and that's a real consideration um, as to I guess why a lot of these spaces don't ultimately get used as much as perhaps we think they will in theory. I think the broader challenge right now is is more of an, a cost equation, um, is just, just purely the economics of, of space. And it's interesting because in the context of our latest project in South Melbourne, we've actually sort of embarked on including our two-level terrace-style apartments that are, that are roughly around about 130 square metres each. The idea there is the surrounding single-fronted sort of workers' cottages in Port Melbourne, South Melbourne, you know, two to three bed configurations range around about the 100 square metre size. And they were sort of built at that time where, you know, trying to build economically priced homes for, for workers in the city close to where the jobs were. You know, so in a sense, it's kind of like a, an apartment of their time. And our focus is, is really on value. So how, how, do we, how do we create a brand new home um, of a comparable size to that which someone could get in the land market, um, albeit at a significantly higher quality building from an envelope perspective. And how can we how can we bring in that in at a price that's comparable to what that piece of land would would cost you? Uh, and that's that's been a real focus for us. And that's really been led by you know ultimately choosing a site uh, in a location that the economics sort of stack up. As an example, would, would the economics stack up in an area like Brunswick? Much, much more difficult, just purely given the surrounding land values and what people's choice is. And if you're willing to live in Brunswick uh, and you have the money you know, to buy a three-bedroom house in this market, that might cost you circa sort of $1.3 million. By the time you, you put an equivalent amount of area in the you know, up in the air in an apartment building, you, you're not paying much, much less than that. Uh, and then the question becomes, well, if you're slightly priced out of that, that land market, uh, if you're willing to live in Brunswick, are you willing to live in Preston? Well, the answer for a lot of people is yes, uh, and they're making that decision. So they're, they're sort of the economic realities. I, people, people understand that really, really well. They, they almost understand it better than we do as as developer you know it's amazing the amount of research people do and just how well they understand what they can afford um, and what decisions they're they're willing to make um, and like we, we spend a lot of a lot of time listening ultimately to people and seeking that feedback because because they'll, they'll tell you what what they want what they can afford and what sort of choices they're willing to make what sort of compromises they're willing to make yeah, I think absolutely. It's it's that it's the cost imperative, isn't it? It's the cost. It's the baseline. It's how do you how do you justify um, spending the same amount on a three bedroom apartment as you could on it on a single detached? And I think while we're still there in that cost equation, people are probably going to choose to not live in apartments. And I I would be in with those people. I'd be probably making exactly the same choice, knowing you know the freedom of having your own backyard and being able to open up the door and have your child wander out and not have to worry about um, keeping a super close eye on them is actually priceless 
as a mother. It's certainly something I've appreciated when I've gone out of apartment living and into more suburban living and back into an apartment again. But I guess as a planner and when we were looking at these better apartment design standards when I was working inside of government a few years ago, one of the investigations that we did was there was concern that putting in standards would make apartments cost more. And it's true, a bigger apartment does cost more to build. There's just no two ways about it. There's a per square metre cost. Um, But the analysis that we did showed that rules around um, more more size to an individual apartment ultimately get transferred into the land value. If you've bought a piece of land and those rules are new rules are imposed upon you upon size then absolutely the person who purchased the land ends up taking the hit or it gets passed on to the consumer but if there are clear rules in place at the time of that land being for sale then when the modeling is done that those costs are factored into the amount that you're willing to pay for the land given the market you're going to be able to sell into so it ended up being this you know this strong view that it's clearer rules which help at least create the opportunity for the size of apartment that a family can move into. Um, because when you're going to buy a site and you're, you're modelling out how many apartments can fit into it and therefore how much you're willing to pay for it, you're taking that into consideration. You're taking into consideration the mix of apartments you're going to have to provide, what you'll be able to sell them for, um, how much that'll cost you to construct them. So I suppose with all those things in mind, what role do you see apartments playing in, in the future of a family living in Australia? I think a big one, really, particularly we're a very urbanised nation. You know, we have um, big populations in our major cities. And again, I think I probably have to speak from a pre-COVID world. I, we still don't really know the ramifications of this pandemic on preferences and employment conditions. So we'll have to just park that and we all have to just wait and see how that plays out. But as things were going... You know, having people be able to access the city by being able to live in it is really important. And in order to achieve that at the scale which our cities already are and are growing, that means apartments. And we've also can see in the research that apartments bring a lot of value into cities. They bring a lot of liveliness. They build um, economic prosperity. They do enable people to live in sort of diverse, exciting neighbourhoods. So I think there's huge potential And I think Australian cities have come a long way in the last maybe 10 to 15 years. It wasn't really a viable choice for quite a long time. And now there is more diversity in the market. And I think as that sophistication increases and the sophistication of the offering and the styles of apartments that are being championed by, say, the Nightingales and the Assembles of the World, which are sort of leading the market in trying to create more community-friendly and family-friendly spaces, I think will really shift people's ideas around what an apartment can offer them and... Um, expand the choices that are available yeah it's um it's a really it's a really interesting time i guess uh at this point um like a bigger idea more broadly is one of flexibility from my perspective if you if you take that broader view and you look at some of the building typologies that have been really really successfully upgraded if you like um you look at some of those kind of you know, mid, mid-19th century industrial buildings globally, and you look at the way that they've been refurbished into, into apartment stock really, really successfully, and there's a bit of a formula there, kind of access to light, high ceilings, broad floor plates, 
And it's a relatively simple formula. And then those assets, those buildings, can have multiple uses over time. You know, they can go from being an industrial facility into an apartment, potentially back into a future industrial facility for, for, for a new economy. They're that flexible. And I kind of worry that right now we're, we're bringing broader ideas to the table around what, what apartments should be and the qualities that they should have. And in some senses, we're building quite or very, very specific assets that, that you know, kind of lack the ability to evolve with us over time, the, you know, in the way that the economy will, will reform and reshape. And we're in the middle of something at the moment that will define, you know, probably, uh, you know, it will, it will redefine how we interact with, with space, commercial and residential. So, you know, are, are we better off kind of almost thinking a little bit differently about how we build buildings and how we build for flexibility and how we how in doing so we, we, um, we're less at risk in, in kind of building stranded assets. Because I really do think in, in the multitude of hoops that we're creating for ourselves at the moment, we are, we are running the real risk of creating stranded assets. And, you know, car parking's a really great example of that, I guess, more broadly, in that, you know, the requirement to build X number of car parks uh, in a building um, without necessarily thinking about what that means is creating a bunch of holes in the ground that that ultimately will have less value over time as as you know the shape of our cities move away from private car ownership in the way that we've known it and sort of what that means for the kind of costs that we're incurring um, and what we could be potentially better reallocating those costs towards so really really complicated questions no real right answer honestly but but some really really interesting avenues i think and I suppose as, as a bit of a, a wrap-up question, do you see yourselves continuing to live in, in an apartment with a family or living in an apartment in a family in future, maybe as you know, all your families grow and, and you're kind of shifting life circumstances? Yeah, it's, I, like I, I lived in an apartment for a couple of years that I, that I kind of renovated through university, actually, and it was a two-bedroom apartment. I lived in it with a friend. Uh, he lived in the front room, I lived in the kind of smaller room and that sort of helped me pay the mortgage and helped me renovate it. It was the first project I ever did. Um, it was a really successful little project, literally built it ourselves. And that, that was really my, my experience of apartment living, pros and cons, right? There's lots of pros, lots of cons. I think on balance, it's like Mitra said before, if, if you're prioritising location, access to work, saving time on a commute on a daily basis then apartment living really really does have a place i think those options i think where apartment living kind of becomes particularly important or these broader ideas of of family size apartments really becomes important around uh, how the city thinks about those workers that are providing essential functions that potentially can't necessarily afford the premium that that inner city living necessitates I guess to an extent by virtue of its popularity they're the kind of family structures that I think we should be thinking about specifically in significantly more detail it's kind of like you know key workers and people that that do need a little bit more help in living closer to where they work and 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 society making a decision I guess that that those 
jobs are, are very important to the way in which society operates and that, that, um, that, that we're going to kind of collectively, um, you know, make sure that those people have access to a really great quality of life. Yeah, I think that great quality of life thing is just so critical. I think in Australia, we may, well, in Melbourne maybe specifically, I don't know that we've quite gotten to the point where for the majority of, of what's available that a family-sized apartment matches the kind of quality of life you're going to get in a family-sized detached home. But I think we can be getting there. We're getting there. I think the, the offerings are becoming more sophisticated and more responsive to what people might need throughout more of their life and more of that's being offered in more buildings which is fantastic and I think as that increases and if that increases then apartment living becomes more viable for longer for more people for me personally I feel like we got to choose an apartment which was pretty special because of how much amenity it had because of all of the open space and the shared facilities and we we chose that purposefully but it's probably an anomaly so, yes, we're happy to still live there as a family and probably will keep on living there as a family and we have the ability to, yeah, chuck in a mezzanine level which might become a home office. So it feels like there's room to expand. And also, I've got to say, just as a, I don't know, it's a whole other conversation, but I, personally, I like to mess with my environment. I love getting my hands dirty. I want to move and change things. It feels really important to me, kind of part of being human, modifying the space around me and um, while that's quite personal to me I do think that what we've seen in how in demand Bunnings has been lately and is for most Australians most of the time kind of shows a lot of us feel that way and I think there's still a little way to go before apartments totally meet that need as well and the more that they do I think the more popular they'll become as well feeling like you're moving into something and you're being completely constrained in all of your choices and can't mess with anything doesn't suit everyone I think a lot of people are looking for a bit more than that so Again, with the place that we chose, we can do that. There's a community garden. You can muck about in the soil. We can probably modify the internals. But I'd definitely be looking for that in any other apartment I'd want to move to as well. And I think the more that we can build in a bit of that into our apartments, I think the more popular they'll be as well. There's some interesting models internationally of you know, building sort of shells, if you like, and people being able to move into those and then decide how they're going to fit them out. I think there's huge scope there. Like the real, the real benefit of apartment living, like it links to convenience and, and, and also this idea that, you know, there are, there are compromises in all, in all decisions that we make. But you can look at it as a compromise or you can look at it as a, an enabler, if you like. So I think time-saving is a really big part of apartment living. And I think if you were to sit there and, and think about how you broke your week up, and to make a decision to buy and live in an apartment during the week because it's closer to work and it's closer to school and it's closer to the market and it's closer to everything that enables you to live a really convenient life that potentially allows you to get more time to go for a run around the park or take the kids for a kick of the footy or whatever. You just open up that time because you're spending less time commuting, less time in the train, less time in the car. And then you think about it, well, what, what do you do with your weekends? So, you know, that idea of what Mitra is talking about, perhaps, you know, perhaps you spend less on your primary place of residence and you do that because it's, it's a much more convenient lifestyle. 
And then you look for options on the weekend to perhaps buy a little property out in the regions. And that's where you get your connection. And that's where you get to tinker. And that's where kind of you get that balance. And I think that's one of the real tangible benefits um, that people are starting to explore more and more with apartment living is maybe this thing doesn't have to be everything. Maybe it's just a really great way to live in the city because it's so convenient. And then because you've made a slight compromise on size in the city, then you have the capacity to, to seek an alternative um, out, out in the regions. And you see that being a huge um, tradition actually in Europe where people do live in apartments and we all talk about it, but actually lots, particularly of the middle class, have a little... In New Zealand, they call it a batch. Here, we might call it a little country house, but it might just be a little shack yeah. on a relatively small plot of land, somewhere beautiful that they head out into the weekends or, or on holidays. And I think that's that's actually a really exciting potential of the way that our city stands to evolve. Is you know the regions have been doing it tough for such a long time, uh, and and I think that 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 could be one of the potential benefits as the city starts to increase in density and we do see more more and more families moving into apartments perhaps it's not about you know building really big expensive apartments perhaps it's just building good quality apartments and then figuring out ways in which this sort of broader move to the regions can be encouraged and those regional economies can flourish again i think there's a real opportunity there more broadly and and that that's exciting well, thank you so much for, for joining me in this in this conversation. I suppose ultimately, um, to wrap up, it, it's it's firms who are, are demonstrating the potential of what apartments could be uh, for diverse groups of occupants that will ultimately come down to, to shifting the expectations and aspirations for living in Australia. Thank you for joining me. 